Welcome to Pickle Me This, the officially unofficial podcast for Rick and Morty on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm Aaron. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're covering Season 3, Episode 9, The ABCs of Beth. Here's Aaron with the recap. Beth finds out that her hazy childhood memories of an imaginary kingdom, Fruity Land, were decidedly not imaginary. Rick created a fully realized play world for Beth as a child, and one of her old friends has been marooned there for decades, surviving by means of a disgusting cycle of inbred cannibalism. In attempting a rescue, she is caught between wanting to be the person she thinks she needs to be and wanting to fully embrace the awesome implications of being Rick's daughter. Meanwhile, Jerry has an ill-advised rebound relationship with a super-hot, triple-breasted warrior woman from another planet. Summer and Morty are not thrilled. All right, Jim. Season 3, Episode 9, ABCs of Beth. What'd you think? Uh, I like this episode. Big shocker right now. Uh, it's really good. We get a lot more insight into Beth, uh, and I think she does too. And and this is sort of like the ABCs of Beth, but also the ABCs of Jerry with the other half of the story. Uh, Jerry gets a lot of insight into himself <laughs> via Summer. Will he be capable of taking <laughs> advantage of it? I, I doubt it. I seriously doubt it, but it's there. Uh, it's a complex episode i think um sort of emotionally it's a it's a complex like stew of identity and emotion and history uh with these characters and i really i appreciated it yeah i think you are right on there's a lot of really great dialogue between rick and beth kind of getting at rick's worldview and the complicated way he sees things and there's a lot of things in the uh the commentary, commentary track that I thought were kind of mind-blowing, kind of revelations about Rick and Morty and, and the writing process and what they're going with the characters, which we'll discuss in the spoiler section. But I thought this episode is really funny. Um, I thought Fruity Land was a lot of fun <laughs> to explore. I thought, um, you know, Jerry's rebound relationship and his whole attitude towards it is like the next kind of evolution in the divorced dad plot line. And mm-hmm. you can tell that, you know, I imagine a lot of that writer's room are the product of divorce, probably statistically speaking, 50%. Mm. And clearly they have, they're, they're mining a lot of their personal experiences because just what Jerry's going through is endlessly entertaining. Um, and there's this, this, the dialogue's great. I thought the design of the, uh, of Kiara and the Variks that they're hunting, and then the reveal that the Variks are actually kind of like in an I am legend style. They're like thinking and feeling creatures mm-hmm. that are just trying to hide out from this crazy person. And uh, just there's so many r- reveals that make things even funnier. Um, it's 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 a, it's great. It's great. All right. So let now that we've talked about our general feelings about the episode, let's get down and dirty. I want to talk about Jerry's rebound first because there's so many interesting existential Beth questions that's introduced by the Fruity Land plot, mm-hmm. and I kind of want to bring our special guest in to talk about that. So just to keep from jumping back and forth on topics, let's go with Jerry's rebound. Um, I like the I really like the gag about uh, you know them these these kids being unhappy with being with Jerry because Jerry's been such a 
you know, they portray him as just being mired in the past and unable to carry carry on. Mm-hmm. And Be- uh, Summer's like, whose idea is this custody weekend anyway? And, and Morty says, I think it's prevent abandonment issues. And she's like, I want to be abandoned. I thought we made that very clear to the lawyer. Uh, and, and, and I forget what else she said, but like some pretty hardcore stuff. And then, and then Morty comes back. I think it's for dad and, uh, how Morty observes that Jerry's apartment's gone from crack house to cocaine house. Cause it's so mm-hmm. clean and, and put together. And I, I love the way in which Jerry decides he's going to move on here. It's, it's the worst way you can possibly move on. Right. Yeah. Into this rebound relationship, which, you know, is not, is not the, uh, sole territory of divorced dads. Yeah, it's it's the sole territory of a lot of people who've been through a lot of relationships that they didn't feel like they got closure on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Jerry, of course, would go to that place, right? And not only would he go to that place, but this relationship is almost brand new. He's jumping into it way too fast. He's immediately involving his kids. Yeah, like after I got divorced, like what twelve years ago, and I definitely dated a Kiara or two. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't involve my children with it because sure, I sure. knew this was just fucking around and, uh, you know, you don't want to involve your kids in that kind of fucking around time. So like, yeah, but you're much more self-aware than that's Jerry. That's the thing. Jerry doesn't, Jerry's like, I need a win. I want my kids to mm-hmm. see how successful I am. I want to share inappropriate sexual details as if they're my peers. So they'll high five <laughs> yeah. me about what the hell does Kiara have two of, by the way? Like, uh, unless Jerry I, has two of something, like, is, is like, use, testicles? Yeah. Does, does she have testicle receptors? Maybe. Because otherwise, you only got the one dick, man. You know? Like, how many <laughs> how many simultaneous orifices can you can you, can you take advantage of, Jerry? Yeah, it's fair. Maybe with telekinesis, there's some, some kind of... Uh, there you go. Uh, okay, I'm already getting into it. All right, never mind. I got some <laughs> fan fiction to write. Uh, but, but it's just... Sharing those with your children, yeah, it's not right. And they're they're they've got you know we've seen this season of last season they got really complicated feelings about romance and their mm-hmm. sexuality too. And you're just you're adding a bunch of gross dad shit to that. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. Um, I did think it was funny that um they're having this argument in this dinner like once Kiara excuses herself and she has this righteous sci-fi action like Marvel movie fight in the background yeah, through the window it's really of the, cool the kids talking about how you know and and how it's fucking self-serving Jerry is he's like you wanted me to do this you're all and and, and Summer's like we wanted to move on in the sense of like getting out of your apartment and stop wiping your ass with paper towels instead of toilet paper <laughs> Not like they didn't want you to wallow in it, but they didn't want you to go the opposite direction. Yeah, like maybe go to the gym, maybe uh, see a career counselor, uh, join a club, you know, start dating, sure, but Mm -hmm. getting into a soul bond with the warrior priestesses. (laughs) Probably my favorite joke in the whole episode uh, is when Jerry comes to them after realizing, oh, this was a huge mistake. How do I get out of the soul bond? I've you guys were right, and Summer makes him apologize. Yeah. And then he says, so now you're going to help me, right? And they get out of the car, and Morty says, she just did. And the timing on that is so crucial. It's so good. That, like, as soon as they get that, it's like, well, okay, you now know everything you need to know. And he still can't. He still can't fucking do it. Because yeah. the other thing is clear that's happening, and he's projecting all of his fears and insecurities on his children. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you don't like Kiara because she's got this weird avocado shaped head and blue skin no like Mm -hmm. the the, no they they have psychologically grounded issues with your relationship jerry it's it's not having anything to do with her physical yeah and the fact that you're pointing out 
the, those features about her. It, Unprompted. It, it, yeah, it sh- shows that you noticed them. You noticed them very prominently. Why do you notice them? Yeah, and and the fact that he's also doing this just to get back at Beth or to get Beth to notice him mm-hmm. um, when, you know, Beth doesn't even... that That's the funny part is, like, this is all subterfuge to... So that's the other, like, layer of this disgusting onion is since we know Beth is not involved and she's, like, dropping the children off because they arrive at asphyxiating bubble... by asphyxiating bubble transport. <laughs> um, the other thing is that, like... Jerry's counting on the children to go back and report to Beth on their father's dating habits. Hmm. Like that's, I just put that together that like, holy shit. I thought it was pathetic that he would do this to get noticed by Beth and then not notice. But like the idea that he's expecting the kids to do his dirty work for him. Yeah. Just the the study in, in patheticness that Jerry is over the course of these first three seasons is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, and it, I get the feeling it hasn't quite come to a head even in this season yet. Yeah. And they, they let, I think there's a couple of things. Um, first of all, I thought that Kiara getting into a hallway blocking uh fight with the <laughs> principal vagina, especially since she yeah. can literally phase matter around and she still can't get out of this awkward exchange with him. I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like they kind of let Jerry off the hook a little bit because they reveal Kiara, who we see as like this very together, driven, successful person. She's pulling the same shit with her ex-lover. And she is, but yeah, that that to me doesn't let Jerry off the hook at all. It just shows that she's uh, she's just an intergalactic Jerry. Yeah. Um yeah. uh and that's the thing. Like I think I feel like a lot of people make these mistakes, but it's just like one thing I'm coming to understand about Jerry is he's a, there's a lot of arrested development here because he's a high school kid that's making high school kid dating and relationship mistakes because he's only ever had this relationship. Yeah. Like, you know, if he had gone to college and gotten another four or five years and three, four, five, 50 relationships under his belt, he wouldn't be like flailing around pulling high school shit. But and he, he talks about that, you know, the, how he essentially became a father at 17 and like, yeah. that's, that's just not preparing you for a, a healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, but I just love how Kiara got kind of hoisted on her own petard when she starts lecturing him about his cowardice and his the earthling lying. And then her mm-hmm. lover comes up and why are you even here? There's 300 galaxies where the Vermex are indigenous and you're, you knew earth was my domain. This is some Gorgon shit, total <laughs> Gorgon shit. I fucking love that. And yeah, then, she's just doing the jealousy play here. Like, yeah, yeah. Trying to show off her the same way that uh, Jerry is. Uh, and then I like the stinger with the answering machine where mm. uh, it's just funny, the sequence of Kiara warning him about the ex, uh, the ex swearing vengeance to come to kill her, Rick, the big R, saying he took care of that for him. And then, oh, uh, don't be mad, but like I fucked your girlfriend too. <laughs> right. And then the guy, like, a cherry on the cake is just like when you're thinking, like, okay, this is a bit much. They add the lampshade joke, which is, uh, yeah, you can just keep this piece of shit because nobody ever uses the technology unless <laughs> they're doing what I'm doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, is there anything else we can mine, any more patheticness we can mine from? Not from the Jerry side of the equation. Well, there's lots here on Fruity Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, this was such, it was so hard for me to come up with a recap because I had to really simplify it because the reality is very complicated. There's this, and there's a lot of very funny stuff, but it's like Beth sees, uh, her, a father of a childhood friend going to go to be lethally injected because he ate his son's face or some shit like that. 
and then uh, it's revealed that this is this she had this repressed memory of him being lost in Fruity Land, but it actually is a real memory. And not only that, but probably she did it on purpose. Probably. She left him there to die. It depends on how much you believe Tommy's stage play. I'm trying to think, like, even okay, if I'm if I'm interpreting Beth's side of the story as charitably as possible she lost her friend in her imaginary world and then never told anyone and never revisited the world and True. that's that's more of like a shameful cover-up type of behavior than just hey where's tommy oh my god i left tommy in you know but i think the explanation that is given in this episode is something like she was jealous of tommy's good relationship with his father yeah and so she took it out on him uh by destroying that and that seems very in line with something a Rick might do. Sure. And and as in as much as Beth is Rick, she might do it too. But why is she in denial about it? Because the other thing is that's that's I think it's very clever, this like um revelation that Beth is kind of almost like a psychopath. Um, although mm-hmm. I, I want to definitely push back a little bit on that. But like it's kinda hard for me to believe that she forgot that Rick invented all this shit for her. And she doesn't see more of like her, like she seems pretty self-aware. Like why doesn't she see her own part of the dance that was played? And again, that's a good question. I'll push back a little bit because like Rick ticking off all these things he did to get Beth off his, her her back is not the same time as like spending time with her as a daughter and actually taking a personal interest. And also what kind of father, like I can believe that a three-year-old would want a lasso or that makes people, you know, do whatever you want. And let me let me, mm-hmm. let's. I, I wrote all these down, so I might as well actually oh, go shit. over this. Um, okay. A ray gun, a whip that forces people to like you, invisibility cups, c- cuffs, an actual parent trap, a lightning gun, a teddy bear, a teddy bear with an anatomically correct innards. Night vision googly eye glasses, sound erasing sneakers, false fingerprints, fall asleep darts, lie detecting dolls, an instructable baseball bat, a taser shaped like a ladybug, a face police badge, location tracking stickers, rainbow colored duct tape, mind control hair clips, poison gum, and a pink sentient switchblade. What father makes all this shit and just Mm -hmm. gives it to his daughter? Like a three-year-old might want and come to you and say, I want a whip that forces people to like you because this boy or girl is mean to me and blah, blah, blah. As a dad, you're supposed to be like, well, sweetie, that's not the solution. Your life's problem. Rick just fucking gives yeah. her this that solution. I think that's his substitute for the emotional connection that she actually needed. Yeah. Uh, because we've seen time and again, Rick is not capable of that performance yeah. as a father. Uh, so yeah, he probably gave her things spoiled her in a certain way right like she she's a stand-in for a spoiled kid who she didn't actually get the emotional right. connection with the parents that she needed because like one way to look at it is like well what a psycho scary kid beth is but one of the ways to look at beth is she's a normal kid that was given almost godlike powers yeah yeah and then oh gee whiz turns out she's a little bit of a psychopath um <laughs> right i just don't understand how she forgot that about herself like That's maybe a really good maybe fruity land was like a four or five year old thing like mm-hmm. like you're supposed to understand that all this crazy shit she was doing is like a preschool type of thing where memories are kind of hazy and it's malleable and could be also the other thing is it's entirely possible uh what we know from the morty's mind blowers episode that like rick would just you know she killed a neighborhood boy well i'll just yeah. fix it with a clone and then whoop i mean that could be with the, those yellow and purple ones or whatever it, in the yellow and green ones are exactly exactly 
Um, I thought that the setup itself was really funny too. Um, you know, the reveal that Rick engineered this like completely safe land and how he was kind of like rubbing Beth's face in it because they're talking past each other here, right? Like Beth is saying, you are a bad father because you didn't pay enough attention to me. Mm. And Rick is interpreting, uh, this as like, uh, her criticizing his engineering of fruity land. Okay, okay, when they when they first arrive, yeah, they're yeah, never yeah. going to see eye to eye because she's asking him no. to apologize for something that he's the, the, like she's she thinks he thinks she's asking her to apologize for like Fruity Land being a bad idea and concept when mm-hmm. what she's really wanting to him to apologize is the fact that I kind of abandoned you as a child to your own devices. Yeah, and I guess maybe you know he doesn't sort of value those those human emotional connections mm-hmm. in the way that she does and so he doesn't see that as much of a problem yeah or he's unable to understand that that is a problem yeah that she's trying to get at here's the other thing about fruity land is i find an intense sense of irony with the idea that tommy's father is being lethally injected for eating him whereas <laughs> in fruity land tommy is eating all of his offspring mm-hmm. and I, i'm trying to decode that and see if if Justin and Dan and the writers are trying to say something about children uh, being the product mm. of their parents and, and the, the parents' unintentionality with that stuff. Like, well, it's funny because like Rick kind of misses the point or gets lost in the plot, too, because he's like, I don't understand why he cares so much about this guy's dad. He's a cannibal, right? I guess it ran in a family. But he's not. Not realizing yeah, yeah. that, like, were it not for Beth, his dad wasn't a cannibal. Like, no, he's, being he's ac- not. Yeah, he's being accused for something that he didn't didn't do. Right. And I, I don't know what they're trying to say about kids and, and parents, but mm-hmm. it's something. Yeah. Um, but I liked how the like some of the jokes of like that, like, oh, look how safe it is. You fall off a cliff and it's bouncy. Oh, the water's breathable to the animal coming to savage him. <laughs> uh-huh. and he's like, oh, my God, it hurts. And she still thinks he's doing the bit. Right. Um, and the reveal that like this fruity land procedurally generated carbon has got human DNA mixed up in it. And Beth immediately surmises the entirety of uh, King Tommy's plot, uh, yeah. I think is hilarious. And in, it also makes the like beating the joke into the ground also funny because I, mm-hmm. I, I all really like the the stage play. I think those kids are very fucking adorable, and yeah, like the it. design of them are really adorable. And like when they're talking about humping and they're just mm-hmm. going up and hugging it, it's like so fucking. <laughs> it's like it's like a like and a four year old's idea of what humping under. like what humping is already a kid kitty euphemism for fucking something, and then uh-huh. now they're just going and hugging and like with a big smile on their face. <laughs> I fucking love everything about it. Yeah. Uh, Tommy gleefully do giving a demonstration for everybody. And, and Rick is like, as soon as that happened, he's like, yeah, fuck this. I'm out correctly. He, he already knew how this was going to end, uh-huh. you know? Um, and like his solution, which is like, well, let's, we should just clone Tommy that Beth is like, absolutely not. That's easy way out is the thing that Beth has to take uh, later on, because there's this other scene where she has this realization where she realizes that she can't reasonably apologize for Tommy, even though she fucked him like in a uniquely crazy way. that only Beth could. Yeah. It's all her fault. And she can't even yeah. apologize for that. She realizes that she's Rick's father, which brings on this insane view. She's, she's Rick's daughter. Yeah. Scene of ultra violence. makes her realize, that, Oh my God, I'm Rick's daughter, which means yeah. I'm potentially capable of anything. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, a blessing and a curse. Um, yes 
because she did inherit some of his intelligence. She also inherited some of the sociopathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of a lot of good and bad mix in there. Yeah. So, what do you think about Rick's soliloquy here about being evil versus being smart? That like once you once you realize nothing matters, the universe is yours, and I've never met a universe into it. Like there's a there's a there's there's a, been a few studies that go around to suggest that like the number of sociopaths that are in like careers like CEO are significantly above the standard deviation you expect if it was just part of the general population. Yeah, um, and I think you could say the same things about. Uh, probably military or like high-ranking military officials people running for president people running for politics any anytime you have a human trying to climb up a hierarchical ladder over other people um the ability like if you realize that nothing matters there's no rules you can do whatever you can as long as you get away with it Mm -hmm. uh it does seem like a superpower um and and coincidentally also those people are taken down in in higher numbers with uh when the truth comes out about the things they've done yeah they're most often not great yeah, but so many of them get away, or if they, they get brought oh, sure. down, yeah. they're still wealthy and powerful. And I'm but trying I, to think. I would think like the average citizen doesn't have as many skeletons to hide. Sure, and I guess you theoretically sleep sounder. But the, the the what I'm trying to think is like, what is the art, the counter argument to that? And it's like I think that for most people, Rick is the exception because Rick is essentially a tiny god. But for most people, the things that you can achieve working with people are mm-hmm. greater than the things you can achieve fucking over people. Yeah. Um, there are a few exceptions. Like, you know, you think about the Wolf of Wall Street, how that guy got like obscenely wealthy as like a, a pharaoh of old by ripping people off and being a terrible person. But yeah, um, but it's it's a it's a dangerous game, too, because you necessarily need other people mm-hmm. to accomplish big goals. Yeah. Uh, and when those people are aligned with with your goals, they might be your best friend. But as soon as those other sociopaths that you're hanging out with who don't give a shit about you and only want to succeed, get off of your page. Yeah. They're going to turn on you and they're going to rip you to shreds. I mean, and they're going to do it and, and they're going to climb your body to get to the top. Like, yeah. You, there is no sense of of community there. It's kind of like the hoop dreams of being an asshole. Like every kid that like picks up a basketball, like oh, I can make the NBA and get sixty million dollars. Like you better make fuck you money from being a sociopath by by the time yeah. you need something in life. Because if you surround yourself with a bunch of assholes that step yeah. on you, then with if the if if the universe ever bucks you, then you know there's 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 nothing left because everybody's going to be waiting to kick you instead of to pick you up off the ground yeah watch mr robot yeah (laughs) it's a study in that yeah so um he offers her this choice which i'm not even sure is unethical unless she uses it like like if if you can create this is almost like a philosophical thought exercise like if there was a trolley with two tracks and one of them had one person on it and the other had five and you could shit you know like which is the moral if you could create a clone that would love your kids be- as good or better than you and you could take a vacation from your life and then come back anytime you choose and resume that like it never left mm-hmm. is that an immoral choice i would argue that that's not possible no it's not possible because because you're coming back as a different person 
Right. And and the person you left, the clone you left behind, yeah. would still be the you from X X amount of years ago with different experiences. As soon as your experiences diverge, yeah. you diverge as people, and you couldn't just seamlessly return. Yeah, and I think that like Beth roving the galaxy as some kind of conqueror would come back, and she wouldn't be the nurturing, exactly, like super yeah. family oriented, you know, go eating uh, Arnoldo's pizza type it, of mom it, anymore. It'd be like trying to take the the Cronenberg universe uh-huh. versions. Of of Beth yeah. and, and Summer and whatnot, and stick them back into whatever dimension. Or imagine you just like, can't do it. Like Simple Rick, the one that realized that Beth was his greatest accomplishment. Like imagine if uh, that was actually a clone that Rick left, and he came back on uh, Beth's 18th birthday. Yeah, and took back over, and you went from having Simple Rick as your dad to like the Rickest Rick. Right. That's it, a it would fucking be so hairpin turn yeah. that you're emotionally that you're trying. So yeah, you're, but you're right. But the episode sets this up. Let's run with it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe Rick could even do some kind of routine where it's like, when are you coming back? Okay, I got three months to slowly bend the arc of this mother towards, you know, giant bitch Beth mode. Oh, uh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know. Because I, I do think that like, this is essentially getting a, a babysitter. It's the best version of a babysitter. Like yeah. if you want to take off for a week just to get away from these like ever that's something everybody needs and i think in the short term that could definitely work yeah it's just if she stayed out of the loop for like three years or even even like several months or just depending on what happens you know um so there's one other thing that they they do in the final scene where uh there's this talk of like a, the pizza place being closed and like Beth is like super happy to be with her family and she seems like she's very chilled the fuck out. Um, and Rick goes back or Rick opens up the portal gun and, and uh, says, Hey, the uh, Arnaldo's wasn't closed in this dimension because it's uh, it's, it's daylight savings time. But then he explicitly says, Oh, also this is not time travel because they just had pizzas laying out in the counter. I stole them. Uh, I just thought it's funny because that's one of the things that in the first season they were a little bit sloppy with, and now yeah. they're like explicitly saying, "Oh no, this well, you, th- you might have think this is time travel because it's not. It's it's yeah, daylight savings didn't... time and Rick just stealing pizzas, yes. which I I enjoyed. But they do set up this pre- this this um, cliffhanger yeah. for the season, which is is Beth going to accept this clone deal? And the hell of it is that um, what Rick says is that no matter what you do. You either embrace your destiny or stay and luxuriate in the choice, the life that you chose. Either way, you'll be chilled the fuck out. In the next scene, she's chilled the fuck out. So we have to debate, has Beth been uh, replaced by a clone? And I don't know what to do with the doo-doo in my butt. But I know that a father should say to you that he's proud of you. Every daughter is a doo-doo from a father's butt Biologically speaking, the butt is a nut And every father, father's wrong And there isn't a song that can change that After this short break, we'll be back to talk to Alex Zalbin, the managing editor from Decider, to talk about this week's episode and debate the big question of season four, has Beth been replaced by a clone? We'll be right back. I got a doo-doo in my butt and I don't know what to do With the doo-doo in my butt But I know that a father should say to you That he's proud of you Every daughter is a doo-doo from a father's butt 
biologically speaking, the blood is a nun. And every father, father's wrong, and there isn't a song that can change that. Getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Joining us now is Alex Zalbin, managing editor from Decider. He's also the host of the Comic Book Club podcast. You can find him on Twitter at A Zalbin. Alex, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat about this. So one thing we ask all of our our guests is, what is your relationship to Rick and Morty? Like, when did you get in? Uh, early, late? Uh, what, 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 what's the deal with, with uh, how you heard about Rick and Morty and, and started consuming it? Yeah, I had actually I had heard about it for a while and I always loved Dan Harmon stuff. I was a big fan of community. I had always I never went to Channel 101, but I watched a ton of the shorts online. Right. So I was a, always a big fan of what he did, but and a big fan of Adult Swim stuff, but for whatever reason I think just time-wise just being crunched with so many TV shows and movies and entertainment coverage I just had never gotten around to actually watching the show until I don't know if this is too dark to talk about, but I got laid off from my job and then suddenly had a lot of time on my hands to watch TV. So I think first I binged all of Penny Dreadful for some reason, uh, and then I watched all of Nathan for you. And then I was like, oh, I guess it's time to get around to Rick and Morty and actually check that out. And I think I watched the first two seasons probably in two days top something like that just kept watching it and watching and watching it uh and was caught up in time for the april fool's drop Mm. for the beginning of season three so i definitely came to it late but uh, it became one of those things where as soon as i started watching it that was all that i talked about for the next couple of weeks it's just such a good 
funny, deep, well-structured show. And even though what I was most struck by, I don't know if this is jumping ahead in the discussion, but what I was always most struck by is I love the Adult Swim stuff. I was a big fan of Metalocalypse as well. <laughs> right. But it, Rick and Morty is both weirder and more straightforward, which I think is part of the success of the show. So I was so impressed that not only was this gross and weird and out there like a lot of the stuff on Adult Swim, but as it was it was accessible at the same time. It's the sort of thing where like Metalocalypse, there's only a certain subsection of people you'd be like, you got to check out the show. You got to <laughs> right. watch the show. Rick and Morty, you can recommend to almost anybody for any reason. Yeah, I got it. So I got a couple follow ups about your your history with Rick and Morty. Uh, first one is, uh, I guess it's a two parter. How many times did the wind whisper loser to you? There, uh, and how many wolves ate your unemployment check while you were watching this unemployed? Uh, I actually fed my check to the wolves very specifically just to kind of keep them at bay, so to speak. Yeah, they're insistent. Uh, they are. They would not leave me alone. They're actually, if you hear any barking right off of the microphone, that's what's going on right now. Uh, but I don't know. It was it was it was the sort of thing that not to get too deep about it, but that and Nathan for you and watching a lot of these darker comedies was very helpful at that time, because I don't know if you've ever been laid off from a job doesn't feel great mm-hmm. doesn't feel very good uh, but watching not necessarily people suffer but sort of suffer and work through it helped me work through it uh, and I ended up I ended up actually getting hired in another job pretty quickly after that which was very lucky and very appreciated but in that short period of time uh, having something like Rick and Morty to fall back on and laugh rather than just moping around the house was very helpful I'm also tempted to turn this into a Penny Dreadful podcast because uh, we actually covered that on a uh, we got all excited to cover it for the season three in which it got promptly canceled. So I have yes. a lot of I have a lot of complicated feelings about uh, mm-hmm. Penny Dreadful and whatnot. But this is a, a Rick and Morty podcast, not a Penny. <laughs> although Penny Dreadful's coming back. It but, is. But, I have complicated feelings about that as well. I do, too. If, yeah. if we'll have to get you back on if, if and when right. we cover that new show. But uh, so what is your all time? This is another good litmus test for like Rick and Morty fandom. What's your all time favorite episode, Alex? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that I, I knew you're going to ask this and I kind of froze <laughs> up a little bit because I don't know if I could totally choose one. But the first one that came to mind was Look Who's Purging Now, just because the Purge series is so dumb and so fun at the same time. And I think they did an absolutely perfect job of just nailing it in that episode, which they do in a lot of episodes, which a lot of the sci-fi tropes. But that was, again, this was just first. I'm probably, if I went back and watched it right now, I'd be like, nope, it's actually this other one. But the first one off the top of my head. Not a bad one. Not a bad one. So let's talk about the this particular episode, the ABCs of Beth, because this is a pretty this is a pretty good one. It's it's something that we can get in a lot of deep discussion on. Um, it really cuts to the nature of what it means to be Rick, what it means to be Beth. Uh, there's a lot of this, you know, interesting insights about being children of divorced parents and uh, them fumbling through that. Uh, what 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 stood out to you? This episode is so good. Uh, I may have to revise my opinion from Look Who's Purging Now to ABC's of Beth, maybe. Uh, but I, beyond being hilariously funny, and there are several times that I laughed out loud even watching it again to prep for this podcast, uh, like you were saying, it's just so layered and it's so much – it drills down so hard in – 
how the making the characters face themselves, making the characters realize, do I need to apologize? How much should I apologize? And really pushing that and contrasting particularly Beth with Rick, like that's the straightforward one, but even Jerry is part of that as well in the B plot, uh, where Rick doesn't apologize for anything or seemingly doesn't apologize for anything. So why should Beth, why should Jerry, why should they be like that? Uh, and ultimately they kind of not exactly flip a little bit, but figure out a different way to hit things. And it's so emotionally deep in the middle of Tommy just having sex with his own <laughs> ancestral creations and fruity lad that makes it this, perfect encapsulation of rick and morty in my opinion yeah i thought it was interesting watching like beth and rick it seems like they're one of their core problems and this is maybe why they should have sat in therapy for pickle rick but like <laughs> that they were talking past each other like what beth was asking rick to apologize for is not what rick was asking hearing like he was hearing you're a bad dad because you stuck me in fruity land uh, you know, but she was saying that, like, it's not just any one thing. And he was like, look at all this evidence of things I care. I built this for you. I built that for you. I built that. But, you know, pretty clearly never put in the actual time. Uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, Beth is the equivalent of, of, of having a rich dad that, like, gave her lots of gifts and ponies, but wasn't actually there for her. Um, and it was kind of mirrored in, in later in the episode where Tommy was wanting Beth to apologize for something that, you know, she wasn't she wasn't hearing. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that's kind of interesting. It's like the phrase people say that, like, uh, you tend to judge people by their actions, but you judge yourself by your own intentions. Uh, mm -hmm. I felt like that was really on display during their back and forth. It's also another thing that really struck me watching it again now. And granted, it only came out, I guess, a little over a year ago at the point that we're taping this. Uh, but you guys probably know the production schedule much more. Certainly, they took a while to put this episode together. Given the conversations around Me Too and cancel culture and apologies and everything that's been going on right now, it actually felt very prescient watching it again, particularly the way that Beth apologizes without apologizing to Tabi. It felt like she should have been typing that out on the notes app on her iPhone and just sending it to him <laughs> that way. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I think people are waking up to the non-apology apology and mm -hmm. that being like, well, I'm sorry if anyone was offended kind of <laughs> brand of PR like that. That was good enough uh, at a, in, in a particular time in American culture. But like nowadays, people want to see that three-part apology where you acknowledge uh, you acknowledge the the wrongdoing and hurt uh and crucially the the pledge to you know not do it again and and, yeah. and put forth the effort into doing that and that's completely absent in all the apologies in the show well the other thing is that it, it plays a lot into beth's memory which of course we don't have we just have the information that they give us in this episode but there's an open question in terms of the play that tabby puts on how accurate that is and rick certainly implies well i think that's pretty accurate whether he was there or not i don't know if he knows uh beth is not remembering things that way certainly seeing it a different way and of course tommy is seeing it that way so that that changes a lot, I think, how that apology needs to be approached, uh, because if she did, in fact, if she was, in fact, a monster as a kid, tried to kill Tommy by pushing him in honey and fruity land, then, yes, she needs to apologize. But on the other hand, if she didn't see it as a big deal and was not as monstrous as Rick is implying, maybe she doesn't need to apologize. So I, I think in a certain way, the point that she realizes she reaches at the end of the episode where she 
accepts her behavior and accepts her past is almost the healthiest thing that she can do for herself at that point. Yeah, because I was that's a good point, because I was trying to when we were having our conversation about the episode in the studio, try to figure out, like, what is the other side of this story? Like Mm. Tommy slips, trips, falls into the honey and Beth just freaks (laughs) out and like slams the door to Fruity Land shut and, and, and panics and doesn't tell anybody like that's still I don't know. I don't know that like it's it's like a child that like their friend trips into a pool and drowns and then they just go in and play video games and like, (laughs) you know, it's like, is there no. And it's it's tough with when you're talking about children, too. But like, what is the degrees of moral uh, reprehensibleness and in, in any of those be like what's the most charitable way you can you can view Beth's actions and still kind of let her off the the ethical hook yeah the other thing that complicates it of course and this is you know the fantasy sci-fi of it all but she's in a land called Fruity Land that's not supposed to hurt you yeah so if she's there she knows oh the the grass bounces and you could fall off a cliff and be fine. You could breathe in the water. Why would she actually think that Tommy being pushed into honey would be a bad thing at all? Even if she stormed off after that and left, she might even assume, well, Tommy can make his way out. And then there's the other interpretation, which I do think Rick is pushing through his basket of things that he says Beth had to make for him that – yeah, she purposely pushed him at Honey and left him there and wanted him to die and then let his father go down for cannibalism, which is awful if that's what she actually did. But we'll never know. Well, they also like I think the other thing that blurs the line is like how young was Beth? Because if she's like a five mm-hmm. or six year old, like they unironically believe in Santa Claus. Like <laughs> if 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 like, uh, you know, every time she thinks back about Fruity Land that she has reimagined that as an adult to like some kind of fantasy world that like all kind of children have like an imaginary Mm -hmm. uh imaginary friend or imaginary land or like you know i've had that instance where it's like yeah i've gone back to a place i visited as a kid and i remember it as being like this magical larger in life place and like oh it's actually this dumpy amusement park that's clearly run down and like yeah it's I, i wonder if there's something of that too where it's like you know, she's five or six and she's in this magical world that's real. But what the hell does that even mean to a kid? Yeah, it's uh, like you're saying memory changes over time. But that brings up another thing, which is how much can you trust Rick's memory in this case? Certainly <laughs> he's an adult at the time. But what he's saying, he's always lying about everything all the time. Right. And he is drunk all the time. So how much does he actually remember something that happened decades ago and how much can his account be trusted in this case? And I think the answer is not at all, even if he's coming across as confident. So everybody across the board, everybody in the entire episode, with maybe the exception of uh, Summer and Morty, uh, they're kind of telling the truth to Jerry straight up. Yeah. But everybody's lying across the board in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Rick has very little incentive to tell especially unflattering truths. And you you think about the Morty mind blowers where he can just like randomly erase sections of people's memory. Mm-hmm. Like how much did that go on with Beth? You know, like if he fucked mm-hmm. up as a dad, was he just like, oh, well, you know, here you go. Look at this light, kid. And the, the hilarious thing to me is that Rick, at some point during this episode, I think points out to Beth, like why she would have pushed him in the honey, the jealousy over like mm-hmm. the, the father, the, the good relationship with the father that he had. And which is such a reflection on Rick. And he doesn't even miss a beat when he's talking about that. You know, he kind of admits, yeah, I was a shitty father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, that's the crazy part to me. And uh, the acorn fell straight from the fucking tree. Like, it, yeah, it just shows <laughs> it just shows like he knows what he's doing. He just doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. 
But he does, because we know the Morty Mindblowers. He also doesn't like to look bad in front of Morty. Probably not his his daughter Beth that he loves in some yeah. kind of cosmic Lovecraft weird way. <laughs> I guess maybe the fact that he can't change the childhood she had yeah. means that he can't care about it. Yeah, yeah. There is an open question in my mind, and I'm sure you guys have maybe discussed this on the podcast a little bit, but how much rick is actually trying to push the other characters in a certain direction how much he does care versus how much he doesn't care and there's to me it's almost 50 50 of this episode that he's constantly saying out loud oh i don't care about you whatever you want to do it's all fine i have no you know horse in this race or anything like that but how can he not care about his daughter as a human being you know even if it's his daughter from somewhere else in the multiverse, as Beth points out at a certain point. I, I think there's still a connection there, and I do think he's trying to push her towards some sort of realization, uh, whether it's the right realization, whether it's the morally correct realization or not. Probably not, but I, I think there. I feel like there's a sense of that running under it, uh, though I may be giving Rick too much credit in this case. Yeah, it's hard... It's really hard to put yourself in the mindset of Rick because like what he's dealing with, these concepts of infinities, like having an infinite number of daughters and grandsons and whatnot to fall back on is something that we just can't relate to. Like we can maybe kind of like, okay, how do we treat our first dollar we've ever made versus how do we treat the millionth dollar we've made? You know, like how do we treat like the first car that we with first new car you've ever bought versus how do you treat, you know, uh, a rental car. Some, I, I, I think there's like, you can kind of see that like things are precious to us for certain reasons and because it's uniqueness and scarcity. And if, if, if you remove that from your emotional relationships, like it's like instant psychopath. But, um, but the thing is that's galling about Rick is that there is something there that even he with his big brain and his infinite children, can't quite escape there is and even the other rick's comment on it like you know he's he's hot-blooded and passionate and irrational um there's something there to him that's maybe not in even every rick in the in the multiverse yeah and i don't think you know uh, obviously it's the concept of the show that it's almost like a family sitcom except for these sci-fi tropes but if you want to really delve into the character there's no reason for him to keep returning to this family if he actually doesn't care about them at all would be my take. Uh, so there's there's one kind of burning question from this episode that we wanted to talk with you about, which is, do we think that Beth is now a clone? Um, mm. There is we, we've we've been tried to keep things kind of like spoiler free for most of these discussions. But there is a little bit of evidence from the last episode that like if you're really uh, a me six style stickler for spoiler free, you might want to just uh, fuck off from this part of the conversation. <laughs> um, but is uh, what do you think, Alex, is is Beth a clone? Did she take they, did she take the deal? They definitely play it so it could go either way where Beth's reaction could be I have achieved peace with my family, I'm happy now. Uh and then there's the other idea which is no she is actually this perfect clone. Um I err on the side of that. I think these people are so horrible to each other all the time and go through such awful situations to see them just happily bonding around pizza doesn't doesn't feel right to me it doesn't feel like beth went through enough of an emotional catharsis and in particular she didn't go through the emotional catharsis that was non-violent you know she came back slathered in blood 
holding Tommy's finger, that's not <laughs> somebody who's going to calm down and just sit down with their children and chill and have pizza. And I'd take it one step further and say, I think also Rick at the end of the episode may in fact be a clone if you look at it that way, because he's being very pleasant as well. Again, they might be playing it either way, and I think oh, they're doing that shit. very effectively. But... I, I had not considered the fact that they're Thelma and Louising this and just be like, let's yeah. just clone ourselves and fuck off. Let's like let's let's have the father daughter bonding experience we never mm-hmm. got. Uh, that's pretty explosive, because I was going to say one of the I think so, so the way they set this up is really sly, right? Uh, Rick says that either of these choices that you take, the end result was you will chill the fuck out. Right. Like you're not mm-hmm. going to because because you'll either, you know, now see that this is a life that you've actually chosen. It's no longer something forced on you or you'll accept freedom and irresponsibility and the ability to go forth and and ride the, the universe till it kicks itself out. Um, but Rick also. So it's like a lot of these questions kind of like, how do you think? how infallible do you think Rick's predictions are and how infallible do you think Rick's technology is? Cause he promises to make her a perfect clone that is not going to have any of these second thoughts and doubts and whatnot. But in the next episode, we see her have this existential crisis where she herself is freaking out that she might be a clone. Uh, and if Rick, Rick did the perfect job of making a Beth clone, that wouldn't happen. Right. Uh, but you're also kind of like, if Rick created a clone of himself and then is left and he's no longer left to do damage. I don't, I, that's how, how do you think that, that the information like plays off of your theory, I guess. I mean, I would say in terms of the Beth thing and her freaking out about the existential crisis, because it always comes back to, this is a comedy show, right? And what's the funniest <laughs> right. choice. That right, right, right. Uh, and having, you could make the excuse that Rick would say, oh, to make the perfect clone, the clone has to doubt that they are a real person or a clone and go through these crises and ultimately come out the other side. Uh, Also, as you mentioned, Rick never does anything perfectly. Everything goes horribly wrong all the time. So even if he says it's perfect, it might go wrong anyway. But I, I think it could be the same thing with Rick. I think the thing that struck me about it is just that he's so happy and helpful at the end and says, I love you, Beth. Uh, as usual with Rick, he sort of goes back and forth in these phases where sometimes he's very supportive and wants to be part of the family. And sometimes he just wants them to fuck off and leave him alone. Um, so that could track with that, but it, it seems to, pointed a piece of information that if he is presenting to Beth, this is a thing that I can do that most likely he's done it before, whether it was with another Beth, whether it was with a Morty or Summer or Jerry, or more likely with himself, I think any of those are possibilities there. Well, if you take the prior history, like we've seen what happens when he makes like robotic clones of <laughs> of uh, Morty and Summer, like uh, it doesn't go too well. So, yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> and and you, gotta, you gotta think also that Rick probably knows that this existential crisis is a possibility in a clone that has the memory of that conversation so and he can control memories obviously right with morty morty's mind blowers we saw that why wouldn't he remove that memory from the clone in order to prevent that existential crisis if that were the case yeah that said if you were to follow that down that clone might say wait why do i have time missing in my memories and then you have the same problem yeah no that's yeah, the thing is like because because like you said you can the ultimate answer is well this is a comedy and they're going with whatever's funny <laughs> but like yeah. that the really crazy thing about rick and morty is like 
uh, they have so many tools at their disposal vis-a-vis clones, robots, uh, uh, dimensional travel, mind blowers that they can kind of have their cake and eat it too in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways without like violating the integrity of their world and story structure because it is such a weird like just what it's a toolbox to tell whatever story you want to tell um and have as much character development as you want like you could you could see season five like maybe rick uh sobers up uh get some therapy uh is engaging the world in a healthier better place and then some evil uh warlord slips him something in his drink and it reverts his progress like there's so many ways you could that that might be like hack or uh unbelievable in another show of like you know reversing characters and stuff like that and rick and morty would just be like a thursday yeah, I do think structurally also his speech to Beth there is just to kind of get all of that stuff out of the way, similar to how, and it's played in a much more jokey way, but earlier in the episode when uh, Beth and Rick figure out very quickly what's going on with Tommy and Fruity Land and just put it all out there with all the exposition, right. uh-huh. you also have the tag at the end where, again, they call out exposition on the answering machine. So part of it is Rick laying out all the possibilities that fans might say with a clone of Beth, where it's, yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about this? And he essentially says, no, all of these things, forget about them. They're not important, so that we could move on and go to that ambiguous last scene. Yeah, so you brought up the the idea that Rick, for some reason, uh, hangs, hangs around in this uh, particular dimension in this particular universe right um Mm -hmm. i have to take that and say okay how would rick react to i guess the spoiling of his plan here and if you look at next episode the the biggest hint to me that beth is not a clone is the rick's reaction because he seems very invested in this particular version of the family whereas Mm -hmm. we've seen like from the cronenberg universe episode what happens when rick fucks something up right he just kind of takes what's important to him and moves on and and I think that is meant to indicate, at least it does to me, that uh, Rick has not made a clone of Beth and that this is his Beth. And so he has to kind of, even though th- she's back with Jerry and this is kind of his worst nightmare, he's got to stick around. Uh, I would say as a viewer, it's a more interesting choice if it is the same Beth, right? Because we've followed her emotional progress. We've seen what she's gone through, in particular in this episode at Fruity Land with Tommy. And... To say this is another character, this is a clone, which ultimately makes them very disposable in terms of the show, uh, isn't as interesting, isn't as surprising as Beth calmly making the decision to stay with her family and try to make things work. That's character growth versus just taking the character and throwing them out somewhere in the universe. But I'm still, I'm still just doubtful that in the, you know, Chekhov's clone of it all, that if you introduce a clone in the third act, I guess, of this episode, <laughs> that you wouldn't eventually be, have it be more fruitful to somewhere down the road in season four, season five, et cetera, to have us as viewers decide, okay, you know what? This Beth that we're watching is not a clone. This is the real Beth. And when suddenly the real Beth shows up and wants her life back, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you have to destroy this clone. To me, that's that's more dramatically pleasing versus the first possibility, her being the same, which is good from a character arc perspective. 
No, I I kind yeah. of like the idea of like in season five, some grizzled space warrior version of Beth coming out of a portal and being like, you know, all right, I've done. The universe kicked me out. <laughs> right, I'm your mom now. What yeah, are, how are the kids like, gonna react? Well, to it that? would like, be wild if like, what if they like the clone better? Like, uh-huh. yeah, you know, there's that's kind of been visited in various uh, science fiction franchises over the years, but like, I think it would be really cool to see uh, on Rick and Morty, but. Uh, Plus, Jerry would probably have a field day with two Beths in the house at the same time. <laughs> that is true. I don't know. With a healthy Beth, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is true. Uh, Alex Zalbin, thanks for being on a podcast. Where can people find you uh, if they want to catch up with you on online and elsewhere? Sure. Well, they can definitely always go to Decider.com, a managing editor over there. Also, Twitter is a great place. I'm on there way too often. That's at Azalbin, my first initial and then my last name. Uh, you can see all my dumb jokes and links to articles and things. Uh, we will link all of those things into the show notes. Also, uh, you're host of the Comic Book po- Club podcast. Yeah, Comic Book Club. That's a weekly live show in New York. It's every Tuesday night. We have comic book guests and comedy guests. It's 8 p.m., totally free. Uh, Come on down, and then we record it for a podcast that goes on the internets right after that. All right, Alex, thanks for introducing us to the Rick is a clone theory. You you, you, you one-upped us. I wasn't expecting that. Yes, I did it. Thanks for coming on. We enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a blast. I got a doo-doo in my butt. And I don't know what to do With the doo-doo in my butt But I know that a father should say to you That he's proud of you Every daughter is a doo-doo from a father's butt Biologically speaking, the butt is a nut And every father's father's wrong And there isn't a song that can change that All right, Jim, it's that time in a podcast where we go plotting to the future. That's where we tune our portal guns to Dimension BM77 to access behind-the-scenes details, trivia, and spoilers for future episodes. Not a lot of that. We got one future episode. Yep. Hard hard to spoiler it, but I spoiler it, but I got a I, I got a lot out of the commentary. I think this is one of the most interesting commentary tracks of the season and it's so fucking Dan that like in the middle of like me just being hanging on their every word of them analyzing not just this episode, but the character arc of Rick and Beth, like uh, Dan, who's also super drunk, is like, I don't know how to do a commentary. I don't think this any of this is interesting. What do people even <laughs> want? It's like it's so fucking funny. Um, yeah. So this was with Dan, Justin and writer Mike Mc, Mc, uh, McMahon. Um, and the thing I found shocking is how, because of the, we, we talked about the way that the timeline of this season got disrupted and that this is supposed to be like 14 episode season turned out to be 10. It looks like there was, they designed a, like a mid season break that was supposed to happen, but they didn't when they weren't able to fulfill the contracted amount of episodes. So they were scrambling. Um, they were, they said a, a color edit, which means it's been fully animated. It's got, and, and they're trying to make this episode work in the editing bay and and i I don't know that it shows that much in the episode and then they don't describe it as being like uh like they started saying like oh we had to fight an edit bay but like no and then justin's like well i thought it was like one of the more fun things that we did all season long which 
that's wild because you'd think this would be it was like a month before airing and they're editing this stuff they're still doing some voiceover to make some of like because they they traded the stingers and other stuff around you think this would yeah. be terrifying <laughs> and like extremely stressful but oh i get the impression that justin thrives on uh sort of not chaos but just like spontaneity mm. um that's kind of his bag so i could see him like being in the editing bay how do we fix all these problems oh let's do this this is this that might be fun to a certain kind of person. That's why he uh, collaborates with me. the band Chaos Chaos. It's, it's right? twice as much. Uh, but it did feel like every word they were saying was hinting toward this barely making it to television. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the, Which, you know, sometimes produces some of the best stuff, right? The Star Wars infamously saved in the editing bay. It was trash when, when they filmed it and all their footage and stuff, and they, they came in and they saved it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can do some great work in the editing bay, and I think they did. Yeah, they, 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 the same thing with The Godfather. There was a couple scenes like uh, Michael in the hospital right. that were saved in Editing Bay as well. And I liked when they were pointing out the specific scenes that were, you know, last-minute edits, like oh. when they're walking through the hallway. Oh, shit, we have these people just strolling through the hallway. Shouldn't they be sprinting away from mm-hmm. this alien that's chasing them? Mm-hmm. And then they just write a lampshade joke. Right. And it works. Yeah. Um, I thought that... They get this question where they're like, why does Rick give a shit? Do we ultimately answer this? And they they, they talk about this because this is unlike most of the commentary tracks where they're reacting to things directly on screen. They're just kind of like talking about a very meta level. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, do we even answer this? And my response was like, well, of course they did. They gave a definitive answer that Rick loves Beth. But he like but Rick's a little bit self-aware that like most of us we love things but we can't really put our you know why do we love our children why do we love uh the people that we shack up with and and you know we bump uglies with why do we love our best friends like there's no scientific like you can say i mean well there's a scientific explanation like spending time with these people release dopamine and make us feel good but like that's not a very satisfying answer and like rick stumbling (laughs) of like Maybe you mean so little that that's actually warps to me that it actually warps around and it's charming. Or maybe, you know, uh, it's something about your mother. It's almost like a Dr. Manhattan Laurie situation, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you're this little, this weird little miracle uh-huh. yeah. that I, I can explain technically, but none of that makes any sense. Yeah. But I, I like that. But, but, but Dan went like fucking deep with this shit. Like, um, he pointed his point that like one of the reasons that Rick says they can only do this time jump. So like a dimensional jump so many times that they fuck things up is because that Rick is for whatever reason, got this predilection for these realities that they leave are extremely fucking similar. Yeah. And some of this stuff, like, um, you know, like, like all Rick's make a fruity land for Beth. It seems like, or at least most do, but Mm. like remembering the specific toys that she asked him, like that's how similar these realities are why is that and like yeah, there's something about this reality that that's comfortable for rick yeah and and dan free, freestyles like is it because rick's so familiar as a time hopper with this version of beth um th- or whether rick himself raised a beth like that because he uh, he raises this idea that like you know this bleeding heart rick that he calls him that we see in like uh the false memory uh that Rick uses to escape his prison in the first episode of this season, you know, of him mm-hmm. turning his back on science in favor of being a father to to Beth. Um maybe that's actually his true background or it's more true than he was letting on. Yeah. Which makes him kind of unique amongst Rick's that he has a genuine attachment uh to a daughter that he can never have. 
all you can do is shift dimensions to daughters raised by asshole versions of him. <laughs> and it's kind of like mm-hmm. a, something that drives him. That's why he f- tries to find like, you know, uh, he's the Rick that could have had a relationship and done everything right, but he doesn't have that Beth. He's got this psychotic Beth. Um, and he says that, like that, that that's something that they're considering and there's like it's it's just equally as possible that it's just what it is on the surface. What do you what did you think of that? That idea that this Man, this Rick so... is like our bleeding heart. And, and the, the, the Citadel said as much, too. It's like, oh, you're the you're not like other Ricks. You're irrational. You're 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 driven by your attachments to family. He does seem like an almost singular type of Rick amongst Ricks. Man, I really I really want to follow you down this rabbit hole, but I have such a hard time when they play with the concept of infinity because there should be an infinite number of Ricks who raised an infinite number of Beths, just like the one that he raised or that yeah. he would have raised. Like the, in my opinion, the biggest mistake they ever made in this show is introducing the concept of infinity, but it's also something that's really fun to play with. You're right. Because so, so like, it breaks it's like situations like these where yeah. you're trying to pinpoint like what is special about this Rick turns out in an, inf- in an infinite universe, nothing is special about this. Right. Rick. Cause like, and then they, they use the, the, the concept of the finite, uh, the, the, the central finite curve yeah, to try yeah. to say that there's some kind of constraint on infinity, but you're right. Like the distance between any whole number is as infinite as like, you know, the, the, the number of, um, like decimal values between zero and one there's as many numbers between that as there is between one and a hundred and one and a million and one and a billion yeah so, so when i look at this rick i don't see anything special about even if this it's rick e- but, yeah. but clearly the show does mm-hmm. right the, the show wants me to forget what i should understand about infinity and focus in on this rick yeah because like and i think that's where we get to the interesting stuff that you're talking about yeah yeah but i wonder if they're suggesting that the show's version of infinity is slightly different that you can have like in an yeah. infinite ricks you can't have singular instances and i is that possible yeah, I, I, I think you're right when they're talking about the finite curve they're talking about but, those because in an infinite universe of possibilities isn't it possible that like uh there is a singular instance in all that infinity like you've got infinite no, combinations for make it happen is it is it literally impossible i think so because is it impossible in a cartoon universe though <laughs> yes and that's what we should be talking about and I, I think it is super interesting to say okay what is the thing that is drawing rick to this version of him himself this version of this world this version of beth whatever it is uh yeah when you combine it with what we may or may not know about his past i i think I can certainly see a character like Rick longing for perhaps less knowledge, less insight of the universe, sure. right? Like uh, he's so intelligent that he can understand how his intelligence is negatively affecting him. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, you know, emotionally he feels some desire to be rid of that intelligence, be mm-hmm. rid of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, that could reflect itself in choosing to be in this particular state, I guess, of a universe. Uh, they also talked about another plot that sounded interesting. They got cut, which is like, I guess there's a lot more things happening in Fruity land and they had to cut to make room for all the dialogue between Rick and Beth. But like smart, the idea that Tommy was the master of Fruity land that, that he, and he did that because he absurped the identity and role of Beth as the master of that universe until he played the role so well that he believed he himself was Beth. And Mm -hmm. when she came back, that there was going to be this epic, like battle of power where she has to reclaim her kingdom and wrest control 
of the mastery, like Neo, like fighting Smith, Agent Smith in the Matrix, kind of. Yeah. Like, you know, you got to stop trying to hit him and hit him. I thought that, I mean, you're <laughs> right. I, but, but I could almost see that being like a reflection of Beth herself as a child. Because mm. like at some point you talked about, is it weird that Beth is a sociopath, right? Or a, a psychopath even. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's portrayed in this episode as a child. Maybe it is weird. Maybe that's not something that she would have tended toward. But when she is given this role by Rick, she lives that role so long as a child that she then becomes that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they were going for that parallel with the, you know, Master of the World Tommy. But yeah, they do cut it out. And I, I ultimately, I think it's smart. I think it it made the episode flow better, perhaps, because the crux of it is Beth and Rick. Mm-hmm. And the and, choice that she's going to make here. Right, the relationship they had when she was young, the relationship they have now, the relationship Beth has with herself, uh, all of that is the heart of this episode. And so as much time as you take away with Tommy, I think you lose something from the Beth portion. The other thing we lost along the way, actually we lost it two episodes ago, is the budget for licensed music. <laughs> which yeah. I, I thought was hilarious. They pointed out that the Joe Walsh song just sucked all the money out of the budget. And uh-huh. so they had to start doing their own music. Right. Uh, and the dude, like, I also like the idea that his doo doo, because they, they, I think they show Rick noodling on this doo doo song. <laughs> yeah. And the idea that they were going to, in universe, like the idea that, like, this is what they're a song that Rick came up with that he's kind of like been recording on GarageBand on his Mac this whole time. Uh-huh. I wonder why they abandoned that, because I think that's a pretty funny concept that is just hidden. Because you see, like, how bad Rick wanted to do the, uh, uh, show me what you got show yeah and how there's like when you go to a, one of his many pictures on Birdman's wall of them being together and friends is like him and Squanchy in a band and huh. here he's playing it's like there's this like uh and then he's he was like press musician playing, yeah Rick. when he was little like when he's teeny uh, little Rick or tiny Rick uh-huh. he was well, always wanting to play guitar and, and make songs and art like there is this like repressed ah. artistic side of him okay that I wonder if they're going to do more with I also so when we talked about the Parasite episode from season two and that commentary track, uh, Royland said that he just really liked this idea of Summer's fantasy of never past bedtime land where everything's rainbows mm. and pillowy. Pillowy, he describes it a pillowy dimension. Yeah. It's very syrupy. That fruity land was essentially his idea of like going back and exploring that kind of land. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll ever see fruity land again. Huh, good question. When when I saw Free Plan for the first time, I thought, why didn't Rick suggest doing this with the Gazorpazorp child that Morty had? Uh-huh. Like you could turn him loose in a, a land like Fruity Land and he could he could dominate and destroy it and 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 have this perfect outlet for his destructive impulses but still be yeah. part of like the family, you know? The answer is that was season 1 and they hadn't come up with the idea <laughs> they hadn't yet. They had come up with Fruity Land yeah. yet. But I wonder if like Beth will ever have use for like a pocket dimension that she can escape to. Yeah, that would totally come in handy for a lot of situations. I'd also love to see like how now that there's there's like no Tommy around uh, mm-hmm. and maybe no sentient life if if Beth destroyed his entire royal court, yeah. like what kind of hellscape Fruity Land will turn into with just unchecked procedural evolution with human <laughs> DNA put in it. Yeah, it could get weird in there. Weirder. Uh, yeah, even weirder. <laughs> um, but I like that. And I also like Dan's defense of time travel in the pilot episode when they show that they call out that this isn't time travel is that, you know, there's like all these, like, what if he went to a dimension 
or to a planet that's like uh, one of the worlds that orbited the, what was that, the behemoth black hole in um, uh, that Matthew McConaughey movie, Interstellar. Okay. Where like they're so close to a black hole that time literally moves slower. Oh yeah, so he didn't. So time when travel, he says, he just yeah, when I, when I when I live fifty years uh, in this and they're crazy about stuff, so that like it, it it didn't shift time. It's just like he was in a super massive black hole's gravity yeah. well or something. No, it's an interesting idea that shifting location could provide a similar effect. I mean, you could do that. Like it's all theoretically yeah. possible in our real world to experience those things, and the only thing keeping us from experiencing them is the fact that we can't travel faster than light or. <laughs> really even appreciable you know uh, chunks of it yeah pickle me this is distributed by bald move in association with starburns audio it's produced by jason smith and scott porch from starburns and myself Ron from bald move all music featured on this podcast is from the rick and morty soundtrack available from sub pop records Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To discover the many other great shows we do, please check out baldmove.com and starburns.audio. If you appreciate what we do and want to directly support us, consider joining our club at club.baldmove.com to get access to exclusive bonus audio and video features. Finally, you can follow us on your favorite social media at Baldmove. See you next time.